Welcome to Drilling Deep, the Freight Waves podcast where we do what the title says. I'm John Kingston, and we're going to drill deep today on two subjects. Well, two subjects and then some. So the second one we're going to drill deep is actually on a lot of different things with somebody who knows pretty much everything that's going on in the trucking regulatory world. That's Dave Ocecki of Scopolitis Transportation Consultants. He sits across the river from Washington in Northern Virginia, so he is very tied into what is going on there. And, and outwardly, outward looking, he's got lots of clients and lots of contacts through his consulting business partners. And uh, his business partners are all the lawyers in the Scopolitis Law Firm who work with trucking companies and other clients. They're based in Indianapolis, so Dave is extremely well-connected. But first, I want to drill deep on something else. I want to tell everybody out there, everybody who's exposed to this one thing, that you are wrapping up a year in which that thing that you hate to do the most and worry about the most, which is buying fuel, was about the last thing that you needed to worry about in 2009. Certainly, you had plenty of other things to worry about. You had spiking insurance rates. You had freight rates that were plunging through most of the year and and bottomed out very low. Our index shows that the shippers had all the upper hand uh, on, uh, on, on on, on pricing. But the one thing that you had were pretty stable and fairly low diesel prices. This was an historic year. I've been following oil markets for a long time, and I can tell you that it was a boring year. The price of oil, as measured by WTI, settled into about a $52 to $56 barrel range by February. It had a big dip last December and January. It then moved up above $60 for a little while in the spring before falling back to that kind of $55 a barrel for WTI either side of that. So first of all, I don't really have that much to say about the OPEC meeting. Uh, which was concluded last week. OPEC, from its perspective, did a pretty good job this year holding the price of oil up. Uh, it's up about 13 to 14% from where it was at this time last year. That's a decent amount when you consider what uh, what they were looking at last December when the price collapsed. So OPEC made some further cuts last week, but really the big question going ahead is not going to be, I think, so much OPEC, but it's going to be whether that debt-fueled growth in U.S. production can tack on another million barrels per day this year. A lot of the agencies are predicting that. There's a tremendous amount of skepticism out there about whether that can be done and whether that increase in output is going to be a lot less. Goldman Sachs, everybody watches Goldman Sachs pretty closely on their oil forecasts. They estimate that it's going to be about 600,000 barrels a day increase in the price of oil. Uh, that affects the trucking industry on a lot of different fronts. There's a lot of trucking jobs out there that are related to energy. And when you've got a lot less drilling as we do, and you've got a lot less production, that's going to take a hit out of that particular sector. So that's going to, the, the fate of the U.S. industry is going to determine a good chunk of how oil price, pricing works out in 2020. So let's look at the price that matters the most to everyone, DOEEIA price for diesel. It's that price that serves as the basis for fuel surcharges for those companies that try to recapture their costs through that vehicle of the surcharge. So for the spring and the summer, the DOE price hung around 310 to 315 a gallon. It's now about 305 to 307 in recent weeks. When you figure, you know, volatility can cause real chaos uh, when it's really moving a lot. And uh, the whole fuel surcharge is to try to minimize volatility and minimize chaos. And there really wasn't any chaos this year in the price of fuel. Volatility was almost non-existent in the price of diesel this year. And the thing was, it wasn't supposed to be this way. 
It was supposed to be a year in which the threat of IMO 2020 would start spiking the price of diesel relative to the price of crude somewhere along the way. Not not before September, but you know there was some speculation that maybe September, October, you'd start to see that. And you know there was this one point in September where it started to look like that was happening. If you look at the price of diesel and you compared it to the price of crude, diesel was definitely moving up relative to crude. It turns out that a lot of people were saying at the time, well, that's because of refinery maintenance. I really didn't believe that then because I felt if it was refinery maintenance, maintenance, you'd see the price of gasoline moving up as well. And that was not happening. Well, the maintenance is over. Uh, the refinery runs are back up. And the price of diesel relative to the price of crude has come crashing down. Uh, you're seeing a little bit of that at the pump. Um, the price of crude overall is up the last few weeks. So, you know, you're not seeing a big change, but you know, I was getting very excited back in September and October. Look, I don't want to pay. Uh, I don't want to pay more for heating oil. I heat my home with heating oil, and heat, heating oil is comes out of the same part of the barrel as diesel. But you know, it's 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 exciting when you start to get a market that's very volatile. And I thought that this was it. This was going to be when we got that big volatility uh, coming out of IMO 2020. It didn't happen. It's pretty much all retracted itself. Spreads between diesel and crude are back to normal, and you might even describe them as weak. But I am still not prepared to declare that IMO 2020 is not going to have an impact on the diesel market. You're still dealing with the fact that you're taking a lot of molecules out of one bucket, the diesel bucket, and you're putting them into the bucket for marine fuel. In all the history of environmental changes that we've had for uh, gasoline and diesel and other products over the years, we've never really done that. We took one kind of bucket and we cleaned it up. We made cleaner gasoline. We made cleaner diesel. But asking the marine fuel market to pull on the diesel market to get to where it needs to go uh, and not have an impact on diesel, it's just still very difficult to see that that's going to happen. How do you pull that off? I really don't know, and I'm not fully convinced that you're not going to. There's really only two ways I think that it can happen. Refineries start running like crazy to produce lots and lots of diesel. That gets to be a problem in the industry because what happens is there's no increase in overall demand for oil. You just get this big shift and there's all sorts of chaos that can result. The price of gasoline collapses, you know, which is, which is very good for if you're listening, if you drive a car, not just a truck, you're going to benefit from that. Um, or maybe refineries added a lot more capacity to produce diesel than we thought, and that's going to get us through. Uh, or maybe, you know, the shift is going to start hitting the market all of a sudden, just over a few days, and suddenly diesel markets, which have been nice and quiet, they suddenly start to feel the impact from IMO 2020. Sometimes that is the way that markets work. There have been estimates that any reaction now might start in March or April, but the forecast had been that it might have happened by now. So I don't just don't know how how firm to take a March or April forecast of IMO 2020 kickback into the market. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say I still see market disruption in the diesel market as a result of IMO 2020 sometime in 2020. This has been described as the biggest shift ever in environmental product regulations. And it's not just national. You know, when you had changes in uh, ultra-low sulfur diesel, when you took the, the sulfur out of diesel, or not took it out, but significantly reduced it back around 10 years ago or so, that was in the U.S. This is a worldwide regulation. There's going to be a reaction to it. We're just not sure when. And I do think that some of the nice, peaceful oil market of 2019 might fade as a memory. For now, though, I hope you enjoyed it because of all the things you had to worry about. The price of diesel really wasn't one of them. 
So we're going to turn now. We're going to look to 2020. And that's why I brought in Dave Ocecki from Scope Leaders Consulting. Here is my discussion with him. It's Dave Ocecki. Dave is the president and chief executive officer of Scope Leaders Transportation Consulting, the consulting arm of the better known Scope Leaders law firm that specializes in trucking. He's based in Washington and from his perch. I think, Dave, you can pretty much see everything that's going on. Uh, Dave, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thank you, John. Uh, thanks for the, the opportunity to be here and, uh, and talk with you a bit and uh, talk with your, your listeners. So we had you on Freightways Radio earlier this year, and I remember we were talking about some of the uh, regulations that were coming up toward the end of the year. And I remember saying to you, wow, it's going to be really busy at the end of the year. Well, you know what, Dave? It's the end of the year. So uh, so all those things that seemed a long way away back in uh, April or whenever I interviewed you are now at the doorstep. So I'd like to kind of go over some of those and, and look, get your view on how prepared the industry is, how prepared government is to implement these things. And, and I think we're going to have to start, no doubt about it, with the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. I guess that doesn't come into effect on January 1st. It's more like, I guess, sometime in the first two weeks of January, but regardless, uh, as we know, Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse will be a place where should be a big central registry of drug and alcohol violators, so companies can know that uh, as they look to as they look to hire uh, drivers. Uh, is it ready? And uh, do you think it's going to have a significant impact? Well, I, uh, I'll certainly try to answer the first part first. Um, is it ready? Um, we certainly hope it's ready. Um, it uh, January sixth is going to be here before we know it. You know, we're just uh, literally thirty days away or so. Um, and FMCSA and, and the government has been uh, implementing it piecemeal. Meaning, in October they allowed the registration process to start, and and they so they hit their target there. Uh, and they had communicated to the industry that they were going to allow the purchasing of the what they describe as query bundles, you know, bundles of basically the ability to fund your account so you can use the system if you're a motor carrier. And they targeted November to allow the, the purchasing of those bundles and they hit that target. So um, I have no doubt that the government's going to hit the January 6th target of, of making the clearinghouse live and um, allowing the both reporting of information into the clearinghouse at that point, as well as querying or making requests of information in the clearinghouse at that point. So, yeah, I, I think the government's ready. I think, you know, they're doing a lot of last minute things, but they're definitely ready. I think the, 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 the better question might be for us in the industry on the industry side is, is the industry ready, right? You know, are, are all the drivers that need to be registered, are they registered? All of companies? Uh, and let's face it, there are 500,000 or more companies and three to four million drivers. So this is a big lift. This is a lot of effort by the industry and a lot of effort by the government to, to get ready. So um, it's it's going to be a challenge. Now, let's let's note something that when when they turn on the switch on January 6th and it's open, there won't be anything in there that um, it will populate itself as drivers, I guess, uh, fail tests or pass tests. And I guess no, I guess there's not going to be any indication of a, of a passing test on a drug, uh, passing test on a, on, a, on a drug query. But as somebody flunks a test maybe on January 7th, and that poor soul might be the first person in there. But how long do you think it's going to be before there's kind of a critical mass of information in the drug and alcohol clearinghouse where it can be yeah, a real so value? Yeah, confirm. You're, you're correct. On January 6th, it will be a, an empty database. Um, and so it will only be populated over time and it will take many, many months, in my opinion. I think it's probably going to take more like a year to two years 
for this uh, this database, this clearinghouse, to be um, you know very useful, useful to very useful because um, as you said, it's it's not like it will be populated at all on the sixth, and it won't be populated much on the seventh or the eighth or the ninth of, of January. It will only be populated over time as drivers fail the, uh, their test, drug and alcohol. So um, it's going to take a while. Some people might put it in months. I'm going to put it in the in the one to two year range before this becomes of some significant value. Right. Now, I know the Trucking Alliance has talked about this thing being a real sort of capacity killer. Um, clearly, it's not going to be a capacity killer right away if you don't think there's going to be much of a critical mass for at least a year, if not more. But do you see it as a – I won't call it a capacity killer, but do you see it as a significant capacity constraint in, let's say, two years? Um, in, in two years, it will have some impact on capacity, in my opinion. Um, will it be significant? I doubt it. I really do doubt it. And, and the reason I say that is because um, we're looking at about a one to two percent of, of drivers that are po- that that have violations that are you know have positive drug tests, positive alcohol tests, or in some other way violated the rules. Um, so the, the percentage is small, and drivers can they're not. Uh, disqualified for life, right? They're, uh, once they get a violation, there's a process for them to get clean and sober and, and you know, checked out and, clean and, and get clean and sober. And then they come back to driving. So even that one to 2% um, per year that, that turns up positive, they're going to be able to, and eligible to drive at some period again. So is it a capacity, you know, har- will it hurt capacity to some period? Yes. Um, I don't think it's going to be a large or significant hit uh, in the one to two year range or even in, you know, three to five years. Right. Now let's talk a little bit about a how-to. So when would somebody uh, become, what, what, what would the process need to be by which I flunk a drug test and I end up in there? Is it just a company gives a random drug test to its uh, to its drivers and, and you know, Joe Smith flunks it and then Joe ends up in the database? Is that how it's mostly going to be populated? Yes. Yeah, it, that's correct. It, um, random tests, pre-employment drug tests, post-accident tests, no matter what, there's five different types of tests under the DOT program. No matter the type of test, if the driver flunks it, uh, and no matter if it's drugs or alcohol, um, if they flunk it, the the violation's put in there. It's either put in there by the company, by the driver's employer, or it's put in by the what's called a medical review officer if there's an MRO involved in the process at that point. So Yep, go ahead. There was some speculation out there that uh, a, a driver, we'll go back to poor Joe Smith. I'm sure there's a lot of drivers out there named Joe Smith. And if they're listening to this, they hate us right now. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll take Mr. Smith's case that they might be reluctant to uh, change jobs because the changing of a job would almost certainly involve uh, taking a drug test somewhere along the way. And they may know that they're not going to pass it. And then they end up in the database where if they stay, stay put, they will... Um, if they stay put, they'll be okay. They'll maybe not take a test and, and, and unless they come up on some random drug test uh, implemented by their owner. Is, is, that, is that fair or is that kind of a reach? Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. 
No, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I think, uh, you know, again, we're, we're talking about a relatively small population of, of people who are dirty, if you will, who, who do use drugs in our industry and who don't get tested all the time. So, yeah, if, I think that's a, that's a fair um, assumption, and I think it will play out in reality to some degree uh, if they know they're dirty. And they know the clearinghouse is is there and they know their violation has to be reported and they're going to be pre-employment tested when they apply to somebody else. Yeah, that's going to have a tendency to keep, uh, you know, the the dirty drivers in their current jobs until, of course, they're picked on a a random or perhaps there's a reasonable suspicion or, you know, reasonable cause to to do a test on that driver. All right. Well, we'll start. Speaking of tests, we'll start the test of the drug and alcohol clearinghouse in a month, I think. A month almost exactly from the day we're having this discussion, Dave. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's let's talk about some other things. We talked about the possible impact on capacity uh, in general from the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, but capacity in general is you know is very loose. You look at the uh, outbound tender rejection index of uh, FreightWave Sonar, you can see how loose it is. But then you can look at some things that are kind of on the horizon out there that might just start to tighten it up in 2020. And you've got a lot of companies I know in their earnings calls or their earnings calls with investors for the third quarter, they said, well, they kind of see the middle of 2020 as the time that things would get better. And, you know, you look at a couple of things like insurance rates are very high, you know, a real growing burden on an independent owner operator. Uh, The end of the ARBRD exemption, not sure whether that's going to have much of an impact, but it certainly is a thing. Uh, You've got a significant drop in the number of new orders of vehicles from where they were, let's say, a year, certainly a year and a half ago. Is this all going to start to tighten capacity by the middle of next year? Boy, it it feels to me like it will, um, for all the reasons you described and perhaps more. Um, Yeah, I I think, um, you know, of course, a lot of this is driven by the economy, right? If the economy continues to remain relatively strong, um, which, you know, there's there's some debate on whether that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I, I think capacity will tighten up. For, for lots of reasons. And insurance is a big reason. Insurance rates are not only high now, projected to, to continue to rise. So, uh, you know, and of course, that's in part driven by our experience in our industry. We're, we're unfortunately having some crashes and so forth. So, yeah, I, I do think mid, mid uh, you know, second quarter, third quarter capacity is likely to be, be tightened or be tighter than it is right now. Can you put a number on insurance rate, rates? Of course, they're all over the map. I know every you know, every company is its, its own story when it comes to insurance rates. But um, if you had to put a, a you know an, an average increase of this year compared to last year, no matter what number you put, I'm sure it's going to be a lot higher than any kind of increase in rates because we know there's no increase in rates. So how bad has it been? Yeah, it, it's it's hard to put a, a you know a firm number on you know an average number on the increase. And I don't have a lot of underlying data to answer that question firmly, uh, but I've certainly heard the the, the number 20% uh, being bandied about, and I think that's probably a decent number. But again, I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable because I don't have a sort of a firm base of data on which to, to answer the question definitively. Right. And, and are there reasons being given out there beyond just the big whopping awards that, uh, uh, that have been handed out by some juries? I mean, you know, I'm sure the average... Uh, I, we did have some data recently in uh, freight waves that while yeah the, the big headline numbers uh, grab all the attention, the fact is the average rate is going up as well. So it's not just the the, the ones that go up into the eighty ninety million dollar number; it's uh, other ones as well. Uh, how bad is it out there for trucking companies from the perspective of company like Scopolitas? No, I, I mean I think that's the main driver uh, is these these you know nuclear type verdicts. 
Um, but let's face it, our, our, our crash experience uh, just generally isn't getting better. In fact, it's gotten worse over the last three or four years. So I think those two, um, you know, those two factors combined are, are primarily what's driving okay. rates up. Let's talk about one last thing. We just got a little bit of time here. Um, Ray Martinez had a fairly short tenure as head of FIMSA, not even two years. I guess it's more like a year and a half. At the same time, he did put through proposed rules that are still out there to change the hours of service. You know, not not gigantic changes, but the first significant changes in quite some time. Um, if they if those go through, does he have a pretty good legacy for his relatively short tenure? Yeah, I I, I believe he has a, a very good legacy. Not only for the reason that you mentioned, the, the you know starting in a, a change or proposed change to the hours of service rules, which I believe will be finalized in twenty twenty at some point. But I think his legacy goes beyond regulations. I think his legacy goes to um, his his ability to collaborate and listen to not just the industry, mm-hmm. but all parties. And his ability to communicate with people across the spectrum, whether they be safety groups or industry groups or drivers. You know, he had a, he had a real strong way about him and, and, and great communication ability and ability to, to uh, communicate his willingness to collaborate. And I think that came through. So I think his legacy is beyond just regulatory changes and regulatory reform. It, it go, goes beyond that. And it's a, it's a strong and, and good legacy, in my view. Okay. One final question, Dave. Dave we're, just, we're talking with Dave Ocecki from Scopolitis. Um, what are the big issues in 2020 that maybe nobody's talking about yet? Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, we've talked a lot about the clearinghouse. We've talked about uh, the hours of service rules and a little bit about, not so much about ELDs in the near term. But the one thing we haven't talked about is the and and it's it's a it's almost a non-issue. You talked about issues that are nobody's talked talked about, and this is an issue that nobody's talked about. But it's but it's a non-issue. It's it's going to be a non-happening issue, if you will, and that's the driver training requirements. Um, a, a month after the clearinghouse goes into effect in February of 2020, the new driver training regulations, in other words, the higher bar for drivers to get into the industry, to be trained to get into the industry, to get your seat. That was higher bar was supposed to be set uh, in February. Um, it, it right now looks like uh, FMCSA is going to push back or delay the effective date of that higher bar, the driver training bar. And, and so that's something that nobody's really talking about yet. Um, and and it, it will have an impact on this industry. I think a lot of people in the industry want to see a higher bar. They want to see better standards for drivers, not only from a safety standpoint, but also from a professionalism standpoint. And so that's one thing I think people should be aware of that it's uh, hasn't happened yet, but it's very likely. All right, Dave, one final question. Uh, AOBRD, at the end of that exemption, uh, will that turn out to be a non-event? Obviously, certainly plenty of lead time for that. It didn't catch anybody by surprise. Uh, it's the last part of the ELD mandate that really needs to be implemented. Does it have any capacity impact uh, and just turn out to be a non-event? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think it does turn out to be largely a non-event from a capacity standpoint. Um, it is an event for uh, in the office. And you know, I don't want to go too far down that road, but th- there are some administrative things that companies have to deal with. So there's there's a bit of an administrative burden that, that increases when you go from AOBRDs to ELDs, but that's not going to affect capacity. That's just a 
you know, something that companies are going to have. And I realize not every company is set up to do this, but as we know, ELDs provide a tremendous amount of data that if you know how to use it, you know how to analyze it, it's going to make your business a lot easier. But not every company is set up if they've got, say, five trucks to take all that data and know what to do with it. Would you agree with that? I I would agree with that. Yeah. the, The ones who know how to use it will use it and use it to their advantage. The ones that are not sophisticated enough, um, you know, it may end up, you know, hurting them in the long run because they just don't, don't know how to deal with it. Okay. David Checky from Scopolitis, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. We will have you back, no doubt about it. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate it too. And good holidays and happy new year to you. Right back at you. Happy holidays. And that's it for Drilling Deep this week for Freight Waves Freight Casts. I'm John Kingston. Join us again. <laughs>